Jedi is a lens. It is an overlay. So in addition to all of the things that you've heard today, this is sort of another, another piece that you apply on your organization, on your business strategy, to look at your, your organization as a whole, to look at, at the data, and to make decisions about how these things align with your deliverable, your, your product, and your client's own value propositions, and their missions, and their expectations for, for their project. So what is Jedi when you start breaking it down? So justice, and I, I love the idea that this is more than building the table uh, because that's only the first step. So within that framework of justice to, or Jedi to belonging, which is what I like to call it, justice is knowing there is a table, is being able to access the table. It is the policies and the practices in that are created within an organization that allow for access and opportunities. In, in other frameworks, it's about dismantling the barriers and resources to opportunities. Welcome everyone to Section Cut, our first ever conference dedicated to the stories of leaders who are innovating on practice operations. Uh, we're back on the, on the front stage. I'm so excited for this next session. Up next, we have Giselle Santos Rivera from HKS, who will be sharing her knowledge on how to build a culture of equity, diversity, and inclusion within AAC firms. Please join me in welcoming Giselle Santos to the stage. Hello, everybody. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, I'll let you get to it. I'm, it's going to be really exciting. I've seen already a little bit of the slides. I'm, I'm really pumped for the content. Well, again, welcome everybody to Section Cut. I've been incredibly impressed and excited for the conversation. And the programming has been spectacular. So thank you for joining my session here at Jedi in Practice. As George mentioned, I'm Gisela Santa Rivera. I'm an architect and a medical planner. And I've been in this role of Director of Justice, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion for over two years now. And as you've heard in various presentations today, there is an increased focus on data, whether it's data-driven decision-making or data-informed value alignment. Today, I hope to share a little bit of what HKS is doing in using environmental social governance structures and data, which is included, um, or JEDI is included within that structure, to inform our business and increase our value proposition to our clients. So today, I'm going to try to cover big picture three topics in the process of these 40 to 45 minutes. First of all, of course, I have to set the tone for the conversation. What is JEDI? Why it is important as a business proposition as part of your organizational structure and your operations and how to address it once you sort of embed it within the framework of your organization. And as a premise, I will try to loop in the idea that we are using it as data-informed decision-making strategies, and that's part of how we're envisioning this being part of operations, part of our business, business, and part of our value proposition and alignment with our clients. So, of course, we start with what is JEDI, and if anybody has questions, please feel free to put them in the chat. Uh, George will thankfully start monitoring that if I'm going too fast, because I tend to speak quite fast and go pretty fast. So, what is JEDI? JEDI is a lens. It is an overlay. So in addition to all of the things that you've heard today, this is sort of another, another piece that you apply on your organization, on your business strategy, to look at your, your organization as a whole, to look at, at the data, and to make decisions about how these things align with your deliverable, your, your product, 
and your clients' own value propositions and their missions and their expectations for, for their project. So what is Jedi when you start breaking it down? So justice, and I, I love the idea that this is more than building the table because that's only the first step. So within that framework of justice to, or Jedi to belonging, which is what I like to call it, justice is knowing there is a table, is being able to access the table. It is the policies and the practices in that are created within an organization that allow for access and opportunities. In, in other frameworks, it's about dismantling the barriers and resources to opportunities. So it's dismantling all the isms, racism, sexism, classism, all of the isms. Diversity is kind of a fact, right? It's representation. It's the baseline. It's a condition that is level. And it's about the amount of people that acknowledge being represented within that group and having that representation around them. It is a fact. It is not really an outcome. It is the differentiation from the majority. And it's a mix of people. Equity is being invited to sit at the table. For me, equity is, is very much the acknowledgement of the opportunities to access success. So we've seen that image and many times and, and in many, many versions. It is not only that everybody gets the same box to stand up and see over the fence, is that people get the right size of box of, or opportunity to get over the fence or over that impediment or over that obstacle. Inclusion in this case is having a voice at the table. So it's having agency. It's an environment in which everybody is welcome, respected, supported, and valued. When present at the table, we are able to speak equally and contribute to the discussions and the decision-making process and having ability to change the system. So it's not only being asked to the table, having a space at the table, but having agency at the table. And belonging, which I think is, for me, is it's the outcome or the goal of creating this Jedi framework and this Jedi space within the firm. It's being heard and feeling like you're being heard is the, the psychologically safe space, which we've heard over and over again in, in throughout this conversation and this conference. It is really creating an environment where you can be challenged, where you can challenge, you can speak up and without fear of retaliation. So it's, and some people call it, well, it's sort of, if the table is not big enough, it's building the bigger table. It's pulling a chair, is doing all of these things to build that sense of belonging within an organization so that people feel like they have agency, they can innovate, and they can really bring their whole selves to the table. So why is this important? I always look at this conversation around sort of the differences, accommodating differences. When we show up, in the workplace, we don't leave ourselves at the door. We show up with our authentic selves as much as we can. So how do we accommodate those differences within our practice and leverage them to be innovative and successful? So of course, most people that attend any kind of conversation around Jedi are always looking to understand how to better articulate the business case or why this is truly important in an organization. I know many of us have sort of been speaking that language for quite a while. And I think in the, in the last year or so, it's been elevated to many, to many conversations about the importance of, of representation. But this, I wanna ground the conversation in data yet again, because that's where we use the knowledge to impact the decision-making process. So Jedi as performance and diversity. I use this line from the Guides for Equitable Practice by the AIA on intercultural competency. So they share a study in 2000 
from DeStefano Maznevsky that shows the relationship between diversity in teams and team performance. So the graph here starts to show that diverse teams that are managed well outperform poorly managed teams or homogeneous teams. So overall, when you look at the dumbbell, you're looking at, there's a steep curve, of course, because most teams are homogeneous and managed fairly well. Most uh, diverse teams at times in this pattern, when you're going on the right side, are low performing if they're managed poorly, and the high performance are on the right side of this graph. So the takeaway for me is that if you can't manage teams, uh, diverse teams well, then you should stick to homogeneous teams. The caveat to that is we are starting to see an increasing awareness of diversity and an increasing diversity of the future of the workforce. So we need to understand that we will have to manage diversity in the future, that it is, it's definitely coming, it's exponential. And in order to outperform other or other teams or our competitors, we need to build well or inclusive leaders that understand how to manage diverse teams well. It is about understanding agendas and cultures and diversity alone, like I mentioned here, managing poorly means diversity is masked. It's in conflict without a resolution. So this is very important in the conversation because we can show up in the workplace and we can start to cover and mask some of the things that make us authentically who we are. And that means we're we're sort of losing that authenticity and we're, we're keeping things out of the space of innovation. So it's very important to recognize those differences and accommodate those differences. So to look at more data, starting in 2014, McKinsey started tracking gender and ethnic cultural diversities in organizations to understand the relationship between diversity and gender parity. So they found that the higher the representation, the higher the likelihood of, of, of performance. Companies with more than 30% of women on executive teams are significantly more likely to outperform those with lower numbers. And as a result, if you can see here, there's a substantial performance difference, 48% in fact, between the most and the least gender diverse companies. There's also a Harvard story, a study in 2018 that found that 61% of women look at gender diversity of employees' leadership teams when deciding where to work. And now when, when we're in this sort of great resignation and great reassessment, it is very important to keep our talent and also be able to attract the best talent in the industries. And also looking at what does that mean for innovation? Well, companies with diverse leadership teams attain 73% more revenue from innovation than less diverse companies. And from the ethnic and cultural diversity, top quartile companies were 33% more likely to outperform on profitability. So if we look again at profitability, Companies in the top quartile of gender diversity on the executive teams were 25 more likely to experience above average profitability than peers in the fourth quartile. So even though I share all of these graphics and for most people this is understood, progress is not really as forward as we think. Even though a third of firms have achieved real gains, most of them have remained static and some of them have achieved little progress and still worse. Some have actually gone backwards. So there is a penalty for lagging on the bottom tiered companies of 19% from the top tier. Uh, yet the advantage of top tier companies is 11%, which is a swing of 30% increased performance. So why do I share all of this? And looking back at that first graphic by shown by in the AI Guides for Equitable Practice, 
this is what the future of our workforce is going to look like. So you can see Gen Z's, one in four, or 25% at least, are going to be Hispanic. So it's an increasingly more diverse workforce. The Gen Xers, as you can see, are um, at a comparable age. The Gen Zers are more well-educated, and we know that during pandemics and when the economy is, is not as stable, they tend to go back to school as well. So more people are coming into the workforce that are highly educated. Millennials are more likely to say that climate change is due to human activity. They also believe in activism. So they believe in using their agency and their voice when they are present at the table. And one that I love to highlight as well is that they don't believe in binary and they don't believe in binary constructs. This idea of, of gender binaries or things that are very black and white are sort of foreign to the Gen Zers and the likelihood that the future generations would likely be the same. So I love this statistic that 35% of Gen Zers know somebody that identifies as they and them. And when we start looking at what that means for the business, well, they bring a fresh perspective to the work. One in three, which is some things that we are experiencing right now uh, in COVID and with this idea that the Delta variant is uh, reframing again the conversation of what it means to be in the workplace. One in three are ready to quit if asked to go back to the office full time. We have seen in companies like Basecamp and Coinbase that when companies start to suppress the idea of, of having these authentic conversations in the workplace, people quit because it doesn't align with their values. And looking through all of this data and recognition of the place where we are today in this, still within the pandemic, people start to question whether people are more engaged and what does that mean? Where Gallup has been doing a 20 year engagement employee study. And it shows that even though we are sort of in a state of crisis, emotionally and, and in the workplace, and even though the economy is starting to pick back up, there is this time is showing the greatest level of engagement with employees. So for me, what that means is they're paying more attention. They are engaged. This is all about value alignment. So as a company, we need to look at the data and recognize who is there, who is at the table, and keep the people that are engaged and build a company around that set of values. People are paying attention and they wanna find that value alignment and purpose within their corporations. And when I think about, when I talk about Jedi, and I talk about these conversations and people feel like there's a disconnect between this work because it feels very social and, and our deliverables and our governance structure, well, I reference companies like Goldman Sachs that are changing how they view their IPOs and the companies that they support. Last year, they required one woman on their board, and now they're requiring two, and they completely overhauled their own board of directors to reach gender parity in 50-50. And when we are not addressing these issues internally, meaning we're not showing data, we're not being transparent, other companies are doing it for us. So for example, Glassdoor this year started a new program where they, and as they, they state on their website, they want to allow prospective employees to know what it is like to be Black, female, or underrepresented groups within the workplace. So what they're doing is any review that is shared with Glassdoor, if you have six, if you have more than five of a category or identity, of, um, review your company, you're going to be able to sort that company through the lens of race, gender, ethnicity, and any other demographic that they have sort of allowed it to sort from. 
So even if you're not doing it internally in the company, other organizations like Glassdoor are starting to elevate the conversation and starting to share ratings for your company and how people view your company aligned with those values. And also, going a step further, companies like Chipotle are starting to tie their executive compensations to diversity and sustainability goals. So at HKS, we're looking at the data right now in order to make the assessment or the move to tie compensation and performance to our ESG or environmental social governance structure goals. So we're right now in the process of looking at the data and establishing those goals. So what does that mean for practice? I'm going to share a little bit of what we're doing at HKS and how we have traversed through this process where we are today and where we would like to be. So HKS is a global firm of architect, designers, advisors, and makers. We are driven by curiosity, as I've mentioned, because it's sort of at the core of what we're doing. And we're devoted to creating spaces that combine beauty performance and build that sense of belonging in the communities. We are over 350 employees in 24 locations across the world. And we really, at our core, our intent to, is, is to align with values of honesty, diversity, and inclusion. So this is not new for HKS. We've been going through this process for a very long time. As you can see in this graphic, we started in 2006 when HKS joined USGBC. So most of the work or the longevity of the work has been on the sustainability space, but we started to add other aspects within that trajectory. So we created our pro bono or 1% solution initiative, it's called Citizen HKS, that addresses public interest design. And then in 2016, we started to have a very robust conversation around gender parity. We created an initiative called Better Together that started to elevate the conversation and create visibility for the issues that we wanted to address in the organization. And then in 2018, we sort of committed to several ways to measure our progress. And in 2019, we established a governance structure to support this in order for us to become signatories to the UN Global Compact. So the UN Global Compact provides a framework that allows you um, to compare yourself with others in the industry that are aligning with, with these values. So our governance structure to support this work is in align with the Chief Sustainability Officer, our co-directors of Citizen HKS, and myself. And within this framework, we look at ESG projects, so projects that tackle all of the sustainable development goals, our environmental business strategy, which is design green, public interest design, and our JEDI framework. And ESG, because it started in the financial space, it is all about data-driven and measures and transparency. So for us, when we look at our environmental social governance structure and our commitment to the UN Global Compact, as you can see, we've decided that we are going to commit to pursuing all four of the UN Global Compact goals, which are on the right side of the screen. And on the center, you see the 17 sustainable development goals. And we our goal is to pursue eight of them, six or eight of them. I keep forgetting. <laughs> but they are, you can actually find this information on a UN Global Compact report that is uploaded onto the UN Global Compact website. But we are seeking to support climate action, good health and well-being, clean air, sustainable cities. And my role as JEDI director is primarily, but not solely, to focus on two SDGs, which are gender equality and reduced inequalities. So why are we doing this and why do we feel like this is important? 
Well, for us, we sort of break it down into these, these three big buckets within our organization, and they also align with the idea of environmental social governance, so people, profit, and planet. For us, it's for our people. It's to do the right thing, but to go beyond doing the right thing. It's because it aligns with our values, because we believe in equality and representation, and because we want to design a sustainable future for all, for our practice, because we can't manage what we can't measure. We want to hold ourselves accountable. We want to challenge ourselves, which is part of the premise for Jedi. And we want to challenge other firms to join us in this process as well, to move the industry forward. So for our business to attract the best talent, and if you were in, in one of the previous conversations with Talentstar, you probably heard a lot of the war on talent and um, how what's happening today is creating a lot of reassessment for people. So it's really important to attract and retain the best talent, to build an organization with greater long-term value and more resiliency uh, so we can weather all of these storms and to help us better understand our clients because we want to bridge across those differences, understand our users, understand our communities. So for us, JEDI is our people-first framework, and it is the lens by which we're going to look at all of the processes within our organization. We've aligned on four of our pillars or four key values of JEDI in practice, which are equity, culture, design, and advocacy, because we're a design firm and a consulting firm. So equity, we look at the framework that we use to support all of our people in our practices, our policies, workplace culture. So what do we do to celebrate our people, to encourage them to show up authentically at the table, designing for inclusion, designing for belonging, and designing for dignity. So what are we truly doing through our processes internally, because we can't do unless we are, what are we doing to affect the design outcome of our projects through this process? Are we being more conscientious of who is at the table and who is missing at the table and which voices we need to amplify and advising for belonging or advocating? Not only doing that internally and within our organization, but doing it for our industry, our business, and doing it for our communities. How do we get embedded in the framework of our overall cities, whether our counties or state or local government, to affect the change that we want to see? So here I share, this is kind of hard to read, I know, but I share a lot of the things that we're doing within the framework at HKS to support that idea of creating that sense of belonging. So we are looking at our employee manual consistently. We're providing resources internally for people to share their voice, but also to acknowledge where we are and keep us in check. So we have a, an intranet page that keeps up, we update regularly with information and we share celebrations that are part of our workplace culture space. So we celebrate Lunar New Year, Black History Month, MLK, and the, there's a group of champions in the organization that create the content that we wish to celebrate, and then we share that from wide for people to use throughout the year as lunch and learn opportunities. Designing for inclusion, we're looking at our projects, our team compositions, and we're trying to create not necessarily a toolkit, because Jedi is really contextual, but designing strategies or guides to ask the questions within that process so that we can build stronger relationships with our clients and really do great outreach onto our communities to get the best of the context. They know best about their communities, we don't. So we, we can be great facilitators in that process. So we're trying to build that framework. We also created a new 
a new series called Limitless, which I'll share a little bit later to amplify this conversation. And with outreach and engagement is supporting organizations that do the great work. So we align with them and support them, whether monetarily or with crits or expertise to elevate the work that they are doing as well. And for us to build that relationship with universities, HBCUs, and those organizations as well. This I'm going to share really quickly, but you can access a lot of this in online and on our page. We were very clear in 2020, although many organizations did it as well, to elevate our commitments for what we are going to do and track to make our firm what we really wanted it to be. So you can see here some of our commitments. We will increase the diversity of our board of directors. We will promote more diverse candidates. We will track and retain greater design professionals, increase engagement at HBCUs, and so on and so forth. What we are doing as well is we, every year, we are going to be transparent in our process. So you can go online and check out on our, our news on our, on our website the progress that we've made in answering all of these commitments that we made in 2020. So in addition to that, in order to support all of this work, because I can't do all this work and I shouldn't do all this work and I shouldn't have to, this is a work that all the firm needs to be engaged in and engaged with. We've provided a framework for people to decide where they could have the greatest impact and agency within our organization. So we have a Jedi governance structure, which is internal. You can see here, it starts with the director, myself. There's a council. The council provides thought leadership in creating and leading and implementing their firm-wide initiatives. So they tend to be my sounding board. And the people that have the greatest, not only agency, but the greatest opportunity to bridge through what they are doing in their practices, in their teams, in their projects. And as a conduit through me to speak to the board, the shareholders, and the people in leadership about what they want to see and what we should invest in. The advisors span the depth and breadth of our organization. They are uh, multidisciplinary, uh, not only architects or engineers or planners, but also people from our professional development team, our talent acquisition team, urban design and research. And these are people that vet the content and through their lens, look at our initiatives and what we're doing to see how we can embed the work that we're doing within our practices on our business proposition. So they build the bridge within the practice and the business, our initiatives and our goals and what the overall Jedi strategy wants to be. We also have Jedi champions in every office and in every studio in our larger offices. And they are the sort of grassroots or boots on the ground. They are the ones that create a lot of the content because they know what's happening in their communities. They are our greatest sounding board. And we meet regularly to celebrate our culture. They create great content and videos around um, Heritage Month celebrations, but also things that are important for them. And they help build the bridge between what's happening in the design process in their projects and what we are doing as a firm-wide initiative process. So for us, we ask or we say, how are we going to get there? And we say, well, this is, this is all of us. All HKS employees are accountable for promoting and supporting HKS Jedi. So our goals overall are to become the leading Jedi firm, to be the leading partner in socially responsible work. And we provide our employees with many avenues to engage in this work and really be stewards of this mindset or this lens within HKS and outside of HKS. As I mentioned, I'm going to share 
fairly quickly some of the initiatives that are undergoing in this journey of JEDI. So we have a scholarship that we created with AIA Dallas, and we increased it this year to $6,000 for a North Texas student that wishes to pursue architecture and an accredited um, institution. We engage with NOMA. We support the NOMA Foundation Fellow as well. We're engaged with ACE, the Large Firm Roundtable, and we provide a little bit of this is the work that we're doing, and these are challenges and these are opportunities when we join those conversations. So as I mentioned, internally, we've created a ton of content and presentations that people in, our, in, in the entire organization can use to moderate conversations around Jedi. So creating psychologically psychological safe spaces within our teams, a deck around listening conversations, which is mostly about uncomfortable conversations and how you can moderate them, how to become a greater ally, and how you can start celebrating um, some of the things that are important to people's heritage and where they come from um, and where they are today. We also did design presentations around topics that are specific to designing for inclusion, like genderless bathrooms, what does it mean to look at the future of architecture and looping in the future of architecture students. We are also pursuing grants. So we partner with other organizations, like-minded organizations, to develop grants to advance the work of architecture and other aspects of community building. And um, like I mentioned, we will continue to evaluate all of our internal documents for greater inclusion and appropriate language. And on our external engagement piece, because not always are we the experts at the table, we want to provide other organizations an opportunity to elevate their narrative through the space of design at HKS. So we've created this series called Limitless Series, which is meant to amplify the great work that others are doing within the industry. So we, we do this quarterly and um, we bring in experts whether they're practitioners, clinicians, developers, activists, we bring them into a conversation around a topic and we want it to be disruptive and informative around these conversations that are a little bit complex around gender equity, racial diversity, gentrification, affordability, housing, equitable development, senior living, The one that's coming up soon will be about the future of workplace, hybrid work, and fluid workspaces, and how those really do build on equity, and how those can become bridges to build around these narratives. And not only do we educate our friend, but we educate also some of our clients that wish to participate. This is an external content. For me, because I'm a medical planner, I always share that we are very aware of the social determinants of health and the design measures for excellence. And we try to create these matrices within the organization to acknowledge all of the things that are happening within the industry and how we can use that knowledge to affect change. So we've developed white papers and narratives around the alignment of SDGs, the designing um, for excellence measures, and how, which is near and dear to my heart, how where you live can have an impact on your health and your well-being. So that's that graphic on the lower left side, where we want to acknowledge and build on the strategies that were there several years ago, that housing and shelter and diversity and what that means in an equitable system, what that means for 
like sort of tell me where you live and I'll tell you how long you're going to live. We also use strategies like personas when we are doing visionings with our clients. We create these personas and we encourage all of the attendees in the design space to look at the design and the decision making through the lens of that person. So, for example, we this is an article that we published last year where we created these five personas and um, people in, in each table had to understand or sort of embody this new persona of um, you know, a certain age, a certain uh, gender, a certain race, a, a certain socioeconomic status. How would that person traverse through our design? Well, how do our decisions impact the built space and impact them as they go through this space? So in addition to this framework, and in addition to the work that we are doing to embed this into our practices through the design space, pulling it back again to data. We really need to track to understand where we are. So some of our greatest initiatives right now are looking at our data internally, and we share some of this data externally as well within our Euro Global Compact because of our commitments, but we're starting to track our progress. So you can see here, this is a snapshot of our progress from our first UN Global Compact report in 2019 and our 2020 data. And it's, it's looking to measure sort of these points of accountability that are critical for us to meet our two SDGs of reduced inequality and gender equity. So we measure leadership. We measure the differences between technical and non-technical roles because that is in support of understanding pay equity and compensation. And we always show age because we really want to start to look at what these generational differences mean in the workplace. And of course, we had a great survey, a diversity survey in, in our organization, and we had a great response rate where we, of, of the people that responded to the survey, about 9% identified as LGBTQIA. So we want to be always mindful of all of the identities and the intersectionality of those identities in the workplace and how all of our decisions affect each of these groups and the intersectionality of these groups. So we will continue to track this. Um, this year, actually, this Monday, we also started to develop an internal report with extensive metrics that is going to be used to inform our promotions process and our strategies as we develop those goals, like I mentioned earlier, like organizations like Chipotle, how do we establish goals? How do we measure them? And how do we ultimately measure the impact to understand if and how diversity really impacts innovation and what that looks like for performance and profitability for our firm? So what does success look like for us? And hopefully throughout this conversation, what you may start to gleam as what success may look like for you if you do implement Jedi strategies as part of your business proposition. So for our people, for us, it's creating a greater sense of belonging. So we do measure sense of belonging through pulse surveys, building a more collaborative and well-rounded team dynamic. We want to acknowledge that we want people to be proud of the work that they do, because if they are and they feel like they have a voice at the table, we will retain our great talent. And we know that the cost that it really puts on, on a firm when we lose, when you lose great talent and build high performing diverse teams. And going back to that first graphic, because we know that well managed, high performing um, diverse teams 
outperform any other team in an industry and we want to lead in that space. So for our practice, as I mentioned, I fall under the big ESG umbrella. So not only are we committed to Jedi, but we're committed to social justice and climate justice. So achieving our 2030 commitments, hopefully someday winning the AIA Firm of the Year Award, supporting other firms and becoming also signatories to the UN Global Compact, succeeding in reaching our goals in our SDGs, particularly in target gender equality, and leading our industry and aligning our offices on our teams with the city and community demographics as an ideal measure of how to best mirror the communities that we serve. So for our businesses, top job applications, we command the industry in fees, of course, because now we're doing great work. Our people earn industry great industry salaries are comparable, enhancing contributions that are richer or more meaningful. Our clients are and our collaborators are proud to work with us. And our clients seek with us because we're the best, of course. So hopefully, when you start looking at these measures, they align, of course, they align with a lot of the things that many of us want for our firms. But I always want to sort of leave everybody with the idea that the reason Jedi in practice is important and the reason that ESG in practice is important is because we want to use the data for transparency. And because ESG is rooted in data, it is important to be truly transparent and to keep accountability for that space. So here I share the most recent communication on progress that we created and uploaded to the UN Global Compact website that shows a lot of our progress. And we sort of seek to be challenged by others as well in this space. Um, right now, we are the only solely sort of big A firm in the US that is a signatory to the UN Global Compact and shares this our progress transparently this way on the website. So I encourage you to look us up, look at our documentation and let us know how we're doing and challenge us to do better, of course. I encourage you all, of course, to join the UN Global Compact, enjoy this movement as part of your own Jedi practice, goal setting and strategy. And I, I wanted to share as well that a lot of this work is also, we looped it back in to our website and you can go right now into our website. You can see it. Hopefully, you can still see it barely right there next to the HKS logo in the bottom, esg.hksinc.com, where we start to take the snippets from our UN Global Compact report, and we start to share the progress about what we're doing in a very interactive way. You can hear some of our, our sustainability leaders in what they see in our progress. and um, how they envision this work moving forward, why it is important for them, and look at our projects as well. And we have links around along the website that start to share some of the data again. It's meant to be interactive and it's meant to be sort of inspiring, but it's also meant for organizations to be able to look at what we're doing and reflect on what we are doing and challenge us again in a very sort of strategic way, of course. So this is, I think we still have about 15 minutes. And what I wanted to do now was sort of open it up for conversation. If anybody had questions around this framework, what you are doing in our organization, what you would like to see, and if you have questions about us and our progress so far. So amazing. I feel like this is like a masterclass innovating on, on big topics, especially, uh, you know, Jedi. I mean, I'm kind of blown away and I, there's, a, there's some questions that I'll ask you about. There's just so many to ask. <laughs> I'm very curious, is there anything 
that has been counterintuitive in your journey, something that made you pause and think, oh, wow, you know, I came into the situation thinking one thing and then the data showed me something else that I wasn't expecting or just qualitative feedback was unexpected? I think throughout this journey, that's a great question. I think in this journey, I have, well, all of us, we all have biases. And I showed up, of course, with my own bias when I started doing this work. We look at the world through our lens and we all have all our conclusions around the, the journeys that we've been in, right? Simple things are conclusions. Like you look at green, a green, and you think go, you look at red and stop. So we all have these innate conclusions that we live with and they precede a lot of the things that we think and definitely a lot of our behaviors. So for me, what was pretty interesting around this process, because it was very incredibly revelatory, that the things that I was seeing and the narratives that I was aligning myself with, although true, of course, they're true for me, they're true for my experience, they're not always the entire truth. And I think trying to bridge through the acknowledgement that all of us have conclusions that we take as concrete that can inform somebody else's conclusions and that at times are a conflict with those conclusions. I think data has been the one unifier. It's mm -hmm. the one opportunity to take a step back and rethink about those conclusions and build those bridges. And it wasn't until I had the opportunity to really sit down, really look through the data and start creating these buckets looking within our practice. So looking at our, our disciplines, looking at our sectors, looking at our teams, looking at our offices and looking through all of the data very strategically. So everything's gonna look exactly the same. The graphics are gonna look the same. Everything is going to be a percentage so that nobody's singled out. All of a sudden, when I started looking at all the data together, I started to recognize that not all of my conclusions were true and right all the time. Mm -hmm. There are a grain of truths in everything, but there are many more opportunities to bridge when you sort of acknowledge that you have to start with the baseline in order to have meaningful conversations because everybody has their own beliefs. And if we show up with belief first, then we already put another layer onto the conversation that starts to disrupt how you can actually build the bridge. So it took me about two years to be able to look at all the data, put the data together, have an organization bet the data and put it out there. And now that it's out there, people challenge the data. But now we can have a meaningful conversation because we're all in the same place. We can look at page 20 something, mm -hmm. say, what does that number look like? And it was incredibly funny for me. And it happened yesterday. Somebody sent me a message and said, hey, I look at that number. That can't be right. So what do you mean that the number can't be right? No, that's impossible. We've always acknowledged that this group has always had more gender parity. And I said, well, I guess that hit on my bias too, because I'm part of that group. I always saw more, more women, for example, in, in that group. But the reality is that that is the number. But the interesting thing is that maybe our perception, whether true as well, there are more women in leadership in that particular group and that creates more gender parity visibility, but the number is still not 50-50, which then becomes a different kind of conversation that was very insightful because those were things that 
we weren't talking about before in such a clear way. And it was because it was now it's data informed decisions. Well, thank you for that. We actually do have to uh, wrap up here, but I do want to say this is a phenomenal presentation, almost like a masterclass for real. I think it underscores a lot of the themes we've been talking about today. Openness, I think is critical, right? Recognizing your own biases, but that also means being open to change and change has been a kind of reoccurring word here. So I, you know, really appreciate the conversation you're you're leading, really, because I think you're the, also the only person in the industry with a dedicated role like this. And I, I think this should be applauded and recognized. So thank you so much, Giselle, for that presentation. I'm sure people will hit you up on LinkedIn and look you up for more follow-up. Thanks again. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Hey, it's Chris from Monograph. Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-sized architecture firms. More than 200 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial today or watch a live demo with our CEO, Robert Ewan. Get started at monograph.com. That's monograph.com. Talk to you soon.